there's some rustling. That's the, that's the best sound, that rustling. Can't do that with a phone, can you? Do they have an app for that, like the phone, Bible? <laughs> That'd be cool if they did, wouldn't it? Get that same sound. Nothing like that sound, Bible pages rustling. Lord, we thank you so much this morning. It's so good to be in your presence. To know, Jesus, that you are here with us, that you love us. Thank you for how you cherish us. Thank you for how you nourish us. We are in need, um, desperately, of you teaching us and nourishing our hearts, our lives, our spirits. We thank you for the great things you're going to do. You are the potter, we are the clay. So have your way here this morning. We need a fresh work of your spirit. And so we open our hearts to all that you desire to do. We thank you. We love you. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Second Corinthians. So you guys remember, we just got done going through first Corinthians and by and large, it was a corrective epistle, right? You guys remember the apostle Paul had Um, During his second missionary journey, he had traveled to this area of southern Greece, the city of Corinth, and he preached the gospel, and a lot of people got saved. Uh, An amazing work of God's Spirit happened there in Corinth. A church was birthed. And you remember, Paul not only planted the church there, but he also pastored the church there as well. He was there um, almost two years Um, ministering to the people there, loving the people there. And then eventually he, leadership was raised up and he left. He left Corinth and continued on and planting churches and and doing missions work. But he had caught wind. Someone shared with him about there were problems in the church that arose in Corinth. And sometimes there's problems in churches, aren't there? Not, Not this church. I hear about certain churches around that have problems. Now, aren't you glad that the, all the problems are addressed in God's Word? All the solutions are in God's Word, by the way, to help us navigate, to get through all the issues that happen in church. In any event, Paul left. He hears about all these issues, so he writes 1 Corinthians. And again, by and large, it's corrective in nature. You guys know there were so many issues over and over. Paul had addressed, and, and all the while also answering questions that the congregation had also, because sometimes there's questions we have, don't we? And in God's word, the answers, that's where we find them, in the, in the scriptures. And so Paul ended up writing the letter. They received the letter. And now, 2 Corinthians, as we read through this letter, we find out that a lot of the correction was received. They made the adjustments. They repented. They got some things right in their, in their personal walks with the Lord and in the church But there was a whole nother group of problems, some original problems that weren't dealt with. There was false teaching still going on in the church, something that still tries to creep in the church today as well. That's why we have to test everything with the Word of God, gang. Are you with me? We test everything with the Word of God? Okay. Hold fast that which is good. And so not only that, there was a whole bunch of critics of the Apostle Paul. They were talking trash about him. They were, they were saying things about him that were untrue. Um, they were criticizing him, saying he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't legit in his ministry. He wasn't a man of his word. They were really spreading lies and rumors about him. And not only that, they attacked his physical appearance also. 
They said he's short, he's squeaky, he doesn't talk very well, he's not a great orator also. And so there was all these things that they were, they were saying about the Apostle Paul. So as we read, and this is an intro, as we read 2 Corinthians, we're going to see it's really, it's different than all the other letters. It's really, it's, it's like Paul's heart is kind of laid out. You know, we, we kind of use that saying, he, uh, he, he left everything out of the field in sports, or he, you know, he, 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 he showed himself, he showed all his cards or whatever. He pours out his heart. It's heartfelt, the things that he communicates to the church. And, and as he's doing that, as he's defending his apostleship, we learn all these amazing things about our own walk with the Lord, how we grow in our walk with Jesus and things that we need to walk in and to apply in our own lives as well. And so the more that they undermine Paul, the more that they gossiped about him, the more he loved them back. What an awesome example, isn't it, that we have? Well, let's dive in. Look at verse 1 with me. God's word says, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And then he tells us who he's writing to, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me draw your attention to verse 1. It's great. Right up front, Paul lets us know who's writing. Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. You remember he was a religious monster, right? Who was persecuting Christians. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus came to him, knocked him off his high horse, so to speak. Paul surrendered his life to Jesus and spent the rest of his life serving the Lord. Ministering, planting churches, doing these amazing things for the Lord. And, and can I just remind us this morning, the Lord wants to do amazing things through your life too. He wants to use our lives in a special way. In fact, God says in the Old Testament, he says that he is looking for a heart that's loyal unto him, that he, he might show himself mighty on your behalf. And that was Paul. He was like, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Whatever you want me to do, I'm down. I'm going for it. And so notice he mentions his credentials up front. He says, Paul, what's the next thing he says? An apostle of Jesus Christ. How? By the will of God. Remember, apostle, what that word means? Sent out one. He was sent out by Jesus Christ. He wasn't self-appointed. There wasn't a committee that, that had an election or a church that had a, a board that said, hey, you're our apostle. It was the Lord who called him to this ministry. And I don't think it's an accident that he's saying this to this church, that he's saying, don't forget, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's the one who's called me to this. In other words, he says, I know who I am and who put me here. It was the Lord. And notice it's by the will of God. When we say the will of God, what does that mean, the will of God? We, we pray that prayer, don't we, about the will of God? Our Father, you guys know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When I'm praying that, your will be done, I'm saying my will goes. I want your desire, your choice. What you want in my life, Lord. I don't know if you ever recognize that when we pray that prayer. It's like, no, not my desire. I'm not, getting, I'm not getting my will done in heaven. It's God getting his will done on earth or in my life. I'm saying, Lord, I want your choice. Because doesn't he know best? Does our Father know best, by the way, this morning? 
he, he sees the whole picture, right? He sees everything. And so I skipped something, though. Oh, I didn't. Paul, Paul, and who else is with him? Check it out. Timothy. Timothy was with Paul and, and part of this, writing this letter. Who is Timothy? You guys remember Timothy was Paul's sidekick, his protege, kind of like an assistant pastor, if you will. Paul would sometimes send him, and Timothy would be a representative for Paul or minister by proxy for Paul in different areas. We read in Philippians that Paul had no one else like-minded like him that had a genuine concern for God's people. Isn't that amazing? Paul said, I don't have anybody else but Timothy who genuinely, sincerely cares for your state of what's going on. That's a pretty, that's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? When there's not a bunch of ministers that love and care for God's people. But Timothy was a man that loved God's people, who poured out his life into God's people, gave his life over to serving Jesus. And so who is the letter written to? To the church of God. What does church mean? Ecclesia, what's church mean? Called out ones. That's what church means, by the way. Right? It's not the building, it's the body. It's us. We've been called out of darkness into his what? Marvelous light. Right? We've been called into fellowship with Jesus the Son. We've been called into a relationship together, by the way. There is one church, gang. Right? It's comprised of all born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of different flavors, aren't there? You got First Baptist, Second Baptist, Calvary Chapel, you got whatever, this church and that. And, and you know what? I like that God's into variety. Aren't you? Is God into variety? Look, just look around this room. <laughs> He's into variety, and that's cool. Some people like to get filled up at Exxon. Some people like uh, Sunoco. Some, do they stop Sunoco? I don't know. Do they? Some people like Texaco. Listen, some people like to come here to get filled up and to get ministered to and to minister to one another. That's cool. But every, listen, as born-again believers, there's one church. This church of God, it belongs to God, by the way. It's his church. This body of believers was located at Corinth, southern region of modern-day Turkey. And notice this. I think this letter was intended to be circulated because it says, to all the saints who are in where? What's it say? Can you pronounce that word? Achaia, something like that. I probably butchered it. It's also that region of southern Greece. So apparently this letter was intended to be circulated to all the saints. So everybody would have a chance to read it or to have it read to them. Everybody would learn and hear and grow. And so all the saints, it says there, uh, and then the greeting of the day. Look at verse 2. You guys know this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, it's always in that order, isn't it? Every time Paul writes to a, to a church or to a group of people, it's always grace and peace. What is grace? God's kindness. It's God's loving kindness towards us, his favor given to us. It's undeserved. It's unearned. It's unmerited. You can't work for it. He lavishes his grace upon us. You guys, aren't you thankful for grace? I like the acrostic. You guys know what acrostics are? Anybody know what, you guys know what acrostics are? It's a word and then the letters each have a little like uh, little uh, word next to it. Like grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Did you guys catch that? 
God's riches. Have, you, have we been blessed? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, the Bible says. Was it at our expense? No, it was at Jesus' expense. He paid for us. He made it possible because of his death, burial, burial and resurrection that we would have this spiritual wealth, these spiritual riches, that we'd be so blessed by him. It's at his expense. But listen, it's not just God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's resources at Christ's expense. What do you mean by that? The Apostle Paul will say later, Jesus spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So God also supplies resources to us when we look to him. His resources that are not deserved, not earned. It's by his grace. He lavishes it upon us. But not just that. He says grace and peace. Notice where grace and peace come from. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's given to us. It's freely given to us. What is peace? What is peace? Is that the time in between reloading? In between clips? Is that what peace is? What is peace? Absence of warring, I've heard as a definition. Think about this with me. Peace, what is it? What is biblical peace? Romans 5 tells us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we come to know Jesus personally, before we come to know God, we are at war with him. Whether we realize it or not, we're God's enemies. Isn't that crazy? I always thought I was good. I always thought before I surrendered my life to Jesus, I'm good with the big guy upstairs. You ever hear someone say that? Talk about the big guy upstairs. They don't know the Lord. The big guy. I got, I got a few words for the big guy upstairs when I see him. No, you don't. <laughs> but before we surrender our life to Jesus, we were at war with him. We don't have peace. We're fighting. We're going our own way. Right? Living according to our own selfishness, self-will, self-centeredness. But then what do we do? We surrender our life to Jesus. We recognize our need for forgiveness. Are you with me? We realize our need for forgiveness. We surrender. And the Bible tells us now we have peace with God. Romans 5, it tells us. But not just that. There's the peace of God, right? You guys ever experienced the peace of God? Anybody here? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Philippians, what chapter? 4? Philippians 4, be anxious for most things. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will do what? Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So not only do we have peace with God when we surrender, but also we experience the peace of God as we set, as prayer brings peace into your life, by the way. Isn't that beautiful? God promises in Isaiah 26.3, perfect peace to the mind that is stayed upon him. Check this out. I looked up the word peace, what it means in the Greek. It means to join, to tie together into a whole. I know there's some people here this morning that your life doesn't feel that way, that you're all over the place. You're being pulled in different directions. You're scattered. And you know what? The Lord wants peace for your life. But peace is found in him. It's coming to Jesus. 
Maybe you're weary and burdened. Jesus says, come to me. He, has, he offers peace to those that come to him. Right? In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He says, I have peace for you. You come to me to find peace. It's found in Jesus Christ. And that's just the, that's just the kind of the, the, the beginning here, isn't it? Look at the next verse. Check this out. So now Paul gets into what he's saying here, what he wants to say. That was the greeting. And then he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so good. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast. Why? Because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will, be, you will partake of the consolation. And so notice, let me draw your attention to verse 3. Look what Paul says there. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed, check this out. That word blessed is the Greek word in which we get eulogy or eulogize. You go to a funeral or a memorial service and, you know, that time where they do the eulogy, it means to speak well of. You begin to speak well of that person that has passed away and gone on. And so... That Paul is saying here, listen, I, am, I want to speak well of God. I want to celebrate God. I'm going to speak well of him right here. Celebrate by praising. And did you notice the context of this? He begins by praising God in the midst of what? Suffering. Trouble. Distress. Paul went through a lot, didn't he? Did Paul go through a lot of suffering? He did, didn't he? And he experienced a lot of God's comfort and consolation also. How do we know he went through a lot of tribulation and suffering? Flip forward with me real quick, chapter 11, real fast. Do you guys ever suffer? Do you guys ever go through difficult times? Suffer. Anybody suffer here? I wonder how many churches are talking about suffering this morning. Paul's talking about suffering in ministry for righteousness' sake, for the name of Jesus. But we live in a fallen world, don't we? With fallen people. Do, do, do people ever bring pain into your life? Suffering? We bring pain and suffering to other people's lives too, don't we? It's, there's a sin issue that's that's here. It's, it's inevitable. Suffering, hardship, difficulty. Correct? Are you with me? We're not in heaven yet. 
But we face hardship and difficulty just living in a fallen world. We face difficulty and hardship serving the living Lord. In fact, Paul said in uh, verse 23, again, he's defending his, his apostleship. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. Stripes speaks of getting whippings. Stripes above measure, uncountable. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Was, was Paul exaggerating, by the way? Is this hyperbole? No. This is what he went through. And, and don't we think sometimes, if I could only have a walk like Apostle Paul, it would be so awesome, right? I want to do it by correspondence or online, online Zoom, Zoom meeting. I want to learn these lessons. Is that you too? We want to have that walk, but we don't want to have the difficulty, the tribulation. But those things produce Christ-likeness in you and I. We've been called to walk in that, to walk in his footsteps in suffering. It's part of, it's part of listen, this morning, it's part of our vocation as Christians. But the great part is what Paul reminds us of, that we not only where sufferings abound, so does his comfort. So does his strength. So does his help. He, he keeps talking there. He goes on, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Who's quick with math? What is that? Like 195? Is it? Something like that. Some of you, that's all you're going to remember from the Bible study. How much was that? Just kidding. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep. What in the world does that mean? Flo floating around in the deep. I'm okay, on my, I'm okay on my board floating around. It's dark and dark out. But out in the deep with nothing, you're floating around and all of a sudden you, something bumps your leg. Pretty gnarly. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So think about that. Paul's sharing here what ministry was like. And what, you know what? A lot of our brothers and sisters, that's the same thing they're facing around the world today. Even some of the ministers that we support, by the way, some of the pastors that we have gotten behind to support. And listen, it may be coming our way too. Who knows? And so let's flip back to chapter one. The context, suffering, tribulation, affliction. And Paul's like, I want to speak well of God. I want to celebrate him. And so Paul is not complaining about his difficulties. He is not uh, singing the blues, but he is blessing God. Are you with me this morning? He's blessing the Lord. And God allows these things into our lives, does he not? God allows suffering in our lives. And God is sovereign. Everything, number one, everything must go through him first, right? Is, 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 is life out of control right now? Is it under his control? It is, you guys. Everything must pass through a father filter in our lives as his children. I mean, that's a comfort to me today that he is sovereign, ruling, and reigning, not only over the universe, but my life as well. How does that work out? I have no clue. 
but I'm glad that my life is in his hands, my times are in his hands, that he's working all things together for good, even the suffering, even the difficulty, even the tragedy and the, the affliction that happens in my life. I don't know why it all rolls out this way. One day we will, are you with me? One day we will when we are in heaven and we look back and we're going to be singing, everything you've done is righteous and true. How cool is that? When we can sing that right now, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to, I'm going to continue to bless you. I'm going to continue to praise you. I'm going to continue to celebrate you because God is worthy of our praise. Amen? He's worth it in every season. And sometimes, listen, listen, it's one thing to praise the Lord when we're on the mountaintop, but it's a totally different thing when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or our world has been turned upside down. Are you with me? Remember what happened to Job? Job experienced all that loss in his life. Remember what he said? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't believe there's a worship song that came out of that. But that's what came out of his heart. Lord, you're still worth it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Paul is blessing the Lord here. And here's the thing about pain. When we go through pain or things are uncomfortable in our lives, we can, we can do what? We can turn inward, can't we? It's so self-consumed, so self-absorbed, right? But here's the deal. Praise causes us to do what? To look up. To see where our help comes from. We look to him. We look to the Lord. And what does he do? Well, he describes it here. God, God has a divine purpose in everything. Again, and he described God works through everything. And notice how Paul describes three ways he describes our Heavenly Father. Number one, he calls him what? The, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, number one. And then number two, he calls our Father the Father of what? What does your Bible say? Father of mercies. Isn't that beautiful? Our God is the Father, of the source and the supplier of mercy. Do you guys like God's mercy? Yes. That was about half the room. Do you guys like God's mercy? Yes. Aren't you glad His mercies are new each and every quarter? Each and every what? Each and every morning. Aren't you glad about that? Do you know there's a new batch waiting for you tomorrow? Because we exhaust them, don't we? It's like, man, I didn't get what I deserved back there. He tenderly, listen, he tenderly supplies relief to us. Do you know this morning that he's for you? Do you know that, my brother or sister, that the Lord is for you? That he loves you? That he, listen, this morning, he sees every tear. He knows every struggle, every pain. The pains outwardly, the pain, that are, the pain that's in your heart and in your mind or in your soul that's going on, he knows, he's acquainted with that. And he brings comfort. Listen, but we have to look to him to find comfort. He, he, he's, he flows his comfort our way. He loves you. He never fails. He's able to supply you with help and strength that you need. And then third, look at how Paul describes our father. He's the, not only the father of mercies, but the God of all what? The God of all comfort. That word comfort, it's interesting. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit or the same root word, paraclete or paraclesis in the Greek. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the comfort, the comforter, the helper, right? 
And so God wants to bring help into your life. He wants to bring comfort into your life. He's the one, and it means to come close beside and encourage, to come close, come close beside you and be the uplifter of your head, to speak tenderly to you and keep you going in the right direction, to ease your distress and your grief. I love that. He strengthens and gives support as well. He reassures us with his love, his presence, his loving kindness. Aren't you glad when he does that? Have you guys ever experienced that, by the way? You know what I'm talking about? Because I'm seeing a few blank stares. Have you guys ever experienced his comfort in your life? If you haven't, pray for the rest of us. Or pray for those that are suffering right now. They're going through difficulty. Did Paul, listen, did Paul experience suffering and comfort? He, we just read the suffering, but you remember when he was comforted? Do you guys remember when he was comforted in the scriptures? He was in Corinth. He had just arrived, and he begins ministering, and guess what? He's scared. Paul was scared. Paul was scared. And who came to him? Jesus came to him and said, Paul, don't be afraid. I am with you. I've got many people in this city. That was when he was in Corinth. Because why was he afraid? He was ready because everywhere he went, what would happen? He'd get a beat down, right? To the Jew first, get rejected. All right, here comes my beating. It's coming up. So in Corinth, he thought, you know what? I'm toast. I'm done. And the Lord said, no, don't be afraid. I am with you. Was that the Lord comforting Paul? Has the Lord ever come to you and comforted you in a special way? Amen. Has the Lord brought someone in your life to comfort you? Isn't it beautiful when he does that? Did it happen in Paul's life? You guys remember what happened in Paul's life? You guys remember when? Book of Acts. Paul gets saved. He comes to Jerusalem. Knocks on the door of Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem. It's me, Paul. What are you, he's going to kill us. I'm a Christian now. Dude, no way. Keep him out. But he's been over to First Baptist of Jerusalem. It's me. It's, it's Paul. I'm saved. I'm a new creation. Dude, no way. You ain't coming in here. Second Baptist. No, you ain't getting in. Or whatever churches they named him by. Remember who came alongside him? Bar. Thank you, Barnabas. His name means son of comfort or consolation. Barnabas came alongside him like the Holy Spirit, the comforter, and what? Vouched for Paul. Hey, it's okay. Can you imagine? I mean, how do you guys do with rejection? You guys like being rejected by people? It hurts, doesn't it? Here, one person after another is rejecting Paul. Stay away from us, dude. Don't get near us with the 10-foot pole. And here comes Barnabas. And that's the point that he's going to make here in just a minute. We need, we need not only Barnabases in our lives, we need to be Barnabases. Are you with me? Or Barnabitas, right, in Spanish? I learned it last week, Barnabitas. Right, that's the female version. Because <laughs> look at the next verse, verse 4. God does what? He comforts us in 35% of our tribulations. Is that what your Bible says? All our tribulations. That word tribulation means pressing or compression or something that's so heavy 
on your heart and on your mind. It's just weighing you down. The stress, the anxiety, the fear, the, the whatever. You're just getting weighed down. And God does what? He comforts us when we're pressed and distressed and afflicted and burdened. And can I encourage us to look to God when that happens again? Don't, don't look to other stuff. Because some people look elsewhere, don't they? To get comfort, southern comfort. Comfort food. What happens when you start eating comfort food? You guys know, right? Does it help? Helps for like a minute and then you're just guilty and all beat up. You're all depresso because you ate and you gained five pounds. Right? Correct? It's like, look to the Lord. Don't escape reality. Don't numb yourself. Pills. Get relief. Don't get relief from the Lord. He wants to relieve you and bring help into your life. Look to the eternal one. But he does this in our lives. Why? Look at verse 4. That's a reason word that we may be able, by the way, all these um, verbs are in the continual tense, that we would continually be empowered to continually relieve the pain of those experiencing, notice this, any trouble, any kind of trouble that they're going through. Listen, you and I are uniquely qualified to minister to one another. Why? Because we've suffered and we've received the, the comfort from the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Is that beautiful, you guys? Or is that just kind of so-so? That's awesome, isn't it? The Lord wants to use our lives in a special way. We comfort others with the same comfort we've received from the Lord. Isn't that what he says there? Right? We give what we received from heaven. We're qualified, we're qualified ministers of comfort this morning. If the Lord has comforted us. And he wants to use our lives. You listen this morning, you are uniquely enabled, equipped, and empowered to be a comforter. And, and can I remind us this morning, just because you haven't walked through the same suffering that someone else does, does not make you irrelevant to minister to others or to that person. Are you with me? We've received comfort. We can bring comfort to any kind of trouble. Can, can I encourage us this morning, the book of Job, we just got done studying the book of Job. Job's comforters, remember his golf buddies came to him? You guys remember that? Beginning of the book? They came and they did the right thing in their counseling. They just sat to be with him. But then it was what happened. They started opening their mouths. They tried to have all the answers, try to figure stuff out. Listen, um, can I encourage us this morning just to, there's sometimes just to be with people. Presence, your presence speaks volumes. It speaks enough. If the Spirit leads you to share a verse, don't try to give explanations and try to figure stuff out. Come alongside them and just be with them. Pray for them. Hold them. Give them a hug. Whatever it might be, that goes, that goes so far. But the minute we start trying to figure stuff out and throw verses and try to piece stuff together, it, does, listen, it doesn't ease the pain. So often it causes more pain or more questions. Are you with me this morning still? But God wants to use you to be a source of relief, a source of help, of uplifting, of support. God wants us, listen, God wants us to be there for others. Is, are you guys kind of catching that vibe this morning, right? And, and I've heard this before. Well, pastor, nobody cared about me. 
No one reached out to me. I don't need anyone now. How do you know no one was praying for you? Because when no one else is praying for you, we are. We're interceding on your behalf and praying. Listen, if that's happened to you, can I encourage you this morning? Then recognize, if you recognize that, say, I felt all alone. You know what you should purpose in your heart? I don't want anyone ever to feel that in the church. I'm going to look for people specifically to reach out to. Anybody that feels that way, I don't want them ever to feel that same way I was feeling. You reach out to them. Are you with me on that still? So important. Or in our pride, check this out. In our pride, we continue to carry around our suffering, our burdens, our hurt. And God is bringing people to us, but we resist receiving from them. And God wants to use that other person in in that capacity to comfort you. But you're saying, no, I don't want anyone to know. And we come in with a smiley, shiny, happy face, don't we? In the car two minutes ago, you were bummed. And now you put on your mask and you continue to wear that mask when the Lord wants to, number one, get rid of the mask, but to bring healing and help to your heart, to encourage you. We are to be those that comfort one another. That's the perspective that we are to have. Are you with me still? Are you still connecting? Hopefully. The greatest example is our Lord Jesus Christ. His, in his ministry of bringing comfort and help to others. We will walk in his footsteps following him. Look at verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And so as we're suffering, God, the Lord's uh, comfort is flowing. It's abounding in our direction. And so please notice those, the sufferings of Christ. There sometimes we suffer for righteousness sake. Are you with me? Doing the right thing? It brings suffering. It brings um, affliction. It brings persecution. It brings people hassling us. Or harassing us. And, um, you know, we are just walking in the Lord's footsteps. Peter said that in 1 Peter chapter 2. That's part of our vocation is there's going to be suffering. But, listen, we are not paying for our sin in our suffering. Are you with me? We're not paying for our sin. Jesus paid for our sin on the cross when he suffered. But suffering connects us to Jesus, with Jesus. And we can be an example of Jesus in our suffering. Are you with me on that too? How did Jesus suffer? Think about when he suffered on the cross. You know, it's a huge, listen, it is a huge testimony to people around you by the way you suffer. When you go through difficulty, it's a huge, it's a huge witness. Think about, think, just think about our Lord as he hung on the cross. He prayed, didn't he? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Pretty awesome. Jesus built a relationship on the cross with his mom and John. There he is suffering, and he's building, helping relationships get connected and built. He's praying, extending forgiveness through his suffering. And did it touch anybody's hearts? 
At Rome, that centurion, that battle-hardened dude, didn't it touch his heart? When Jesus gave up the ghost, breathed his last, truly this man was the Son of God. But it also touched someone else's heart, didn't it? There were two dudes crucified right and left of Jesus. Two criminals. And they began that, that time of suffering all of them together. They were talking trash, weren't they, about Jesus to, to his face? And that one criminal is watching Jesus through all this. How Jesus processed suffering. And it touched his heart. Because remember what he said? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, there's a transaction that happened in his heart. What was that? How did that happen? It was by him watching Jesus suffer and go through that. Remember me, you're a king. I, I can't bow down. I can't get baptized. I can't put on a suit and tie. But I give you my heart. I give you my life. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I see you're a king. Listen, I'll, the way that we process suffering, it is a witness for Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Sometimes you see people suffering, and it's like they do it so gracefully. And that you see Jesus in them. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people see you suffering and I suffering and they, they see something and, and they go, wow, you're really doing this gracefully. We don't typically notice it ourselves, but other people do. And there's some people that go through, that are going through the mountaintop, that are, nothing's, nothing's wrong. They're just kind of flying high and you don't see Jesus as much as you do in the, as in the person that's going through suffering, as going, they're going through hardship because they're doing it in a way that honors the Lord. And we, that's what Paul is talking about here. Bless the Lord. I want my life to be, a, to, to be a, a source of consolation and comfort to others. And so the way we handle suffering is a radical testimony because the Lord also does what? He, he consoles us, verse 5. He comforts us. It abounds through Christ. What does abound mean? Does that mean like a little eyedropper? A little trickle? Is that what abounding means? What's abounding mean? overflowing, right? His comfort pouring out. The more you suffer, the more you get comfort. Isn't that beautiful in God's kingdom? Don't you like that? He pours it out. Jesus makes it possible for us to receive comfort. And isn't it in those times of pain where God reveals himself in special ways? Are you with me? He reveals something about himself that you probably wouldn't have learned any other way. The Lord needed to take you through that. To walk through that. Why? Because we need to remember we're being conformed to the image of who? Of Jesus Christ. And suffering is part of the shaping and molding and conforming us to be more like Him. What could be greater than that? Being more like Jesus and so Paul knew pain. He knew suffering. He's reminding them of the comfort of God that happens also. Look at verse 6. And he says, if we're crushed, no, there's purpose. He says, there's purpose in this. It's other-centeredness. If we are crushed, it's for your comfort and salvation, your rescue. And the result, look at verse 6, is this energizing. It's effective to help you keep going, to bear up under the load 
When you have those similar pains and similar struggles that we're going through, it's going to help encourage you and keep you going. It's interesting, that word uh, enduring is the word, remember the word hupamone? Sounds Italian, doesn't it? Hupamone. It means to bear up under. Listen, your witness, the way you suffer, receive God's comfort, it's a, it helps undergird and lift up other people also. So beautiful, isn't it? God, how he works. He goes on to say, if we are the recipients of comfort, it is to bring you comfort and salvation or rescue also. And Paul gets personal here. He's like, listen, I endure great suffering that you might enjoy your walk with the Lord. I wanted you to be blessed. We've gone through difficulty. We've gone through hardship. That's the price that we're willing to pay to see you grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's other-centeredness. Are you with me? Isn't that how Jesus operates? Other-centeredness? Yes? Verse 7. Our hope, our expectation, absolute expectation of coming good for you guys, for your lives, is secure. We are absolutely sure, as you are joint participants of tribulations, guess what? You also will be joint participants in what? In the comfort as well. You know, I was reading this passage this morning and meditating, just kind of thinking about it and praying it over with the Lord. And it struck me, I don't know how people do it without the Lord that are suffering. There's people around us that are suffering, aren't they, that don't know Jesus? I don't know how they go through that. But can I encourage you that the Lord may want to use your life to touch theirs? It's not an accident, the, the people that God brings into our lives, is it? It's kind of just random stuff. Is it an accident? I don't think so. I think the Lord brings people that are suffering into our lives around us that you might be a, an instrument or a conduit of His grace into their lives. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the Lord loves these people. You know, you know what I'm saying? Even the, the mobs and rioting going on, when Jesus looked at the, at the herds of people, he looked at them as how? As lost sheep without a shepherd, bewildered and lost and confused. And Jesus looked at them and he saw them with tenderness and compassion, it says. The, the father of all mercies, he saw them in a compassionate way. And what did he do? He gave a Bible study. <laughs> Came the word of God, what they need, what we need. It's the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change lives. That's what's going to heal hearts and heal marriages and homes. Well, that's what's going to heal this country, by the way, is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is the power to change our lives. Not new legislation. Not a new legislator. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power unto salvation. And so, if we have time, we do. Verse 8. Three verses. No, four verses. No, 12. Let's, just kidding. <laughs> four verses. Let's do it. Cool? Is that cool? All right. Sweet. I didn't ask for it. Amen. Or, yeah. Let's just do it. We can do it. Because uh, this is all tied in together here. Check it out. Paul says, For we do not want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be out to lunch, brethren, or in the dark. We want you to understand what happened here of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Well, what was this trouble like? Look what it says. It tells us that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired 
even of life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? Why such a heavy trial? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us. Why? That thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So Paul's like, listen, I don't want you to be clueless about what happened to us in Asia. And by the way, this is not Asia like China and Japan, Vietnam. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about modern day Turkey. That's the area that we're talking about here. We don't know where this happened or when this happened. Some people think it happened when he was in Ephesus. Remember that big riot that happened? Big riot that happened. All the silversmiths were going out of business. People were getting saved. They didn't want the little idols of Diana. Paul's putting him out of business. They want to kill Paul, wipe him out. It's possible that was when it happened. But notice how heavy. He says it was so heavy. This is one of those, I don't think we're going to make it trial. This is the end of the road. We're done. A place we've never been before. The sentence of death. In other words, everybody said, it's time to die. This is it. We're going to go say hi to Jesus. Life's over. We're done. We all came to that verdict. Why such a heavy trial? Why such a heavy trial? Why would God allow this heavy trial? Look what it says. The answer is right in the text. That what? Paul says what? So I learned to trust in him, not in me. That we would learn to trust in God. All our confidence would be in the one who raises the dead. Listen, for the believer, death is not the end of the story. Correct? We take our last breath here. We step right through the veil into his presence, right? Anybody excited about that? Me? Kind of cool? And Paul would later write, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. How do you get to that point? How do you get to that point where you say, you know what, I'm cool staying here or going home. It doesn't matter to me. How do you get to that point? By going through trials like that. By saying, you know what, my life is in his hands. He wants to take me home. That's cool. If not, I'll stay here and I'll minister in his name. I'll serve him full on. And I think there's something for us here, though, as we look at this. They were put in a spot, look what it says, they were put in a spot, they couldn't get out by their own ability, their own smarts, their own personalities, their strength, their wisdom. God closed every door and there was no other choice but to trust God. All resources, all options, exhausted until God was the last. Can I encourage you in something this morning? Turn to God first. Don't make him the last resort. Don't waste time relying on yourself. Why do I say that? Whether it's finances, family, marriage, broken relationships. We could go across the board. To realize this is beyond my control. I can't fix this, Lord. I need you. We need him, don't we? 
We need the Lord. Not trusting in our own smarts, our own resources, our own skills. We say, Lord, I need you. I need you to bring healing into this relationship. To do a work of your spirit. I'm down, Lord. Whatever you want to do. This thing needs your comfort. It needs your healing balm to touch our marriage. Our, our relationship with our kids. My relationship with my parents. And what does the Lord do? The, the God of all mercies. The Father of all mercies. He brings mercy. The God of all comfort. He brings his comfort. When you look to him. You say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Listen, the whole Bible is all about trusting God. I mean, we see throughout the scriptures. You either trust in your own resources, the arm of flesh, or you trust in the Lord. Are you with me? So many times the Lord had to knock out everything underneath. I mean, I think about David. Knocked out everything underneath, everything he could rely upon. We learned about it on Wednesday night, right? David was on the run from Saul. No family, no friends, no nothing. On the run, doing some stuff he shouldn't be doing. He finally ends up at the cave of Adullam and remembers, this is where I was trusting in you, Lord, where I slayed Goliath. Here I am carrying around Goliath's sword, trusting in it. Man, I need to be looking to you, trusting in you, praising you, blessing your holy name. Can I remind us this morning that he is the God of your past, your present, and your future? Did you see that in verse 10? He delivers us all the way through. Like Daniel's, remember Daniel's friends wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol? You guys remember that? They're like, Nebuchadnezzar's like, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? I don't know if he had that kind of accent. <laughs> who is that God? What did, remember what, Dan, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? If it be that the God that we serve delivers us, so be it. If not, he's going to bring us home to be in heaven. That's the kind of attitude we need to have. And by the way, as we finish the last verse, because we're out of time. He says, you guys cooperated by praying for us. You, you heard, you heard, we were in trouble. And immediately, you guys had a prayer meeting. You heard, Paul's in trouble. That was the text. That was the Insta thing. Paul's in trouble. What did they do? They prayed. They prayed in Corinth, and Paul says, we felt your prayers over here in Asia. And it was a gift. Did you see that? It was a gift. Many people are saying, thank you, Lord, but it was your prayers. Do you know that God works through prayer? Do you guys believe that? Amen. Prayer works. I don't know how it works, but it works, doesn't it? 